This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted pride of West London podcast, and we're coming here from the from the pub in in, in West London. No, no, it's, it's a it's a public house, I believe they call them. You, you know, people like you. Well, actually, this is not even a public house. This is a wine bar because we come to the wine bar every week on a Wednesday. We come to the poshest wine bar because this is the poshest podcast from the wine bar. My name is William Grant of Hadley, and we're sitting here in the George the Fourth, the poshest pub, sorry, wine bar ever in West London, down Chiswick High Road it's very regal, re- absolutely fantastic you can hear the beautiful music coming out from here being from the ducks and the people are playing all sorts of regal things because this is posh I'm sitting here with my chums, my pals I'm sitting around the table here with um, my friend here David Hilary Moriarty Lane Oh, hello mate <laughs> Uh, um, yes, it's, um, I'm feeling, I'm feeling ex- extremely extravagant and decadent this evening. You're looking marvellous in your bow tie and that, uh, that jacket of yours. Is, is, that, is that velvet? No, it's corduroy. Of course it is, of course it is. Uh, tell me something, what have you been up to this week, David? Um, well, I, as you know, I, I've been um, grooming some swans for, for Christmas for, um, and then um, I, 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 I took the Bentley in for a, for a service. Uh, and then um, I, I, I cleaned the Spitfire. Excellent, excellent. Good, good, good sounds like a good week's work for yourself as well. And also, we're sitting here with the Lord Sebastian Kay. Uh, Lord Sebastian, how are you? Uh, I'm fine, thank you, William. And, and what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, this week I'm, I'm gearing up for my uh, Christmas dinner and I've been foraging around uh, Walpole Park for some uh, truffles and wild rockets because uh, we're going to put together a, uh, a beetroot wellington. That's right, because you're, you're from Walpole Village, is that correct? In, in, in North North Vildsey? I think it's uh, Walpole Park Village, as the uh, estate agents around my way call it. Okay, fantastic. i tell you something, there's been absolute activity in this week here as well. And also we've got a, a relatively new member to our little clan here. Um, it is uh, Count David Anderson, the, the third. Um, Count David, how are you? 
Hello, William. Uh, thank you for that introduction. I'm very good, thank you. Yep, good. And what have you been up to this week, uh, David? Well, I haven't been working because I... You never work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never worked. Why would I have? Because uh, you're too posh. Exactly that, yeah. I've been living off the state in uh, St. Reatham for a long time now, and uh, yeah. I've been... I think I've done a bit of shooting, actually. A bit of shooting. That was quite good fun. It sounds great. I mean, he's come all the way up from South London, from St. Reatham, Streatham. Other people call it, but he calls it St. Reatham, of course. And like I said to you, William Grant from Hadley, I've had to come all the way from, from, from North London. I've had a fantastic week. I uh, had a few deer. Have you been working, Bill? Have you been working, William? Uh, well, I never work. No, no, no. Absolutely not, no. I had a, had a few deer that I chased around the garden the other day. I got a bit bored of that, and uh, I had a, had a few quails that I was just watching. Um, but now I thought we'd just come around here and we'd, we'd record this podcast and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what's happening in the land of Brentford this week, you know, what, what has been going on. Um, tell you something, it's a mere coincidence, but they, they seem to have launched some posh seats at Brentford as well. And uh, I think I, I quite fancy going for them. How about yourself? I bought six. Did you? How much were they? A dozen. Um, uh, they were, well, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I just gave them my card and they just took it. I don't know. Well, I didn't ask how much they were. Oh, dear, listen, as you can hear, this is the Pride of West London podcast, and uh, we've been talking about football, we've been talking to Thomas Frank, but the, the news just hit us as we walked into the pub today that Brentford have launched some posh seats um, at the club, and we didn't quite know what they were. We sort of did know what they are, because we've heard there was some premium seating, but we've heard that there's some posh seats. So I suppose throughout the podcast today, we'll be just talking about the posh seats and, and just working out exactly, you know, what is going to happen how who's going to take part you know and just basically how the, how the posh seats fits into to Brentford lifestyle but other than that we've got lots of other things we're going to talk about on this show as well don't forget tomorrow which is Thursday by the time you listen to this Rob Rowan's memorial on Thursday the 13th of December 5 o'clock Griffin Park please go down there and just pay your respect to Rob Rowan the technical director who unfortunately died about 3 or 4 weeks ago really really nice guy so it would be great if lots of Brentford fans come down there and show their respects for Rob other than that we're going to talk about the Swansea game unfortunately we're going to have to talk about that on Saturday we've already talked about it on our Love Sport radio show and uh, there are some very interesting comments from Marcus Gale which we'll talk about them in a little bit also we'll be talking about obviously the manager and some thoughts and things are flying around about the manager and what's going on there assistant manager um We've got, we've got Count David, who's come in with some stats. You know, he likes to come down here with his figures and his stats. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later as well. Plus, we'll also be just looking forward to the weekend and Hull City. We'll be talking to Les from Amber Nectar, and he'll be giving us five from the hive. But listen, let's go back to the weekend. Swansea it wasn't a good day Saturday yet again. We fluffed it. But listen to the fans. Let's hear what they have to say after the game in the pub. Clearly things aren't working in the camp. Let's not uh, kid ourselves with that second half performance which was far, far, far better than the first. Simply is no leadership at the top of our club uh, on the playing field. And I think at the moment Thomas Frank needs to look at his position. He can't obviously motivate the players. they not playing for him. There is something really wrong. We have got to start making a change. Because it's no good saying we won't be in a relegation battle. We are rapidly approaching a relegation battle. We have got to sort it out, and I'm afraid it's got to start from the top. Well, we weren't unlucky. We let three goals in very easily. Uh, I think our only defender today uh, that can hold his head up is uh, Rico Henry. I thought he was superb throughout the game. Uh, the other three, 
No, not so well. Uh, we're, we're just lacking, lacking in confidence, lacking in, in uh, top quality defenders, I think, or, you know, confidence in defence. But, uh, yeah, we deserve to lose that game because we let three goals in. If it's one team in the Football League who would lose the game for a 3-0, it's Swansea. I was impressed with Brentford today, but scoring after 30 seconds will help any football team, whatever standard you play, mate. Even at 3-0, if, if Brentford get the next goal, you never know. When the free kick went in, I thought Swansea get a point at most. Uh, we've, we're a bit fragile, young team, young squad. I thought we were going to you hit the bar twice in the last 20 minutes. Brentford a good side. At 3-2, did I think you get a point? Yeah, 100%. I have two levels of worry. I have a worry when we're losing games, and I have a, a massive worry when we don't look like we're going to score. Um, so at the moment, my, I, I'm in a sort of a, the, I'm in the medium worry stage because we're losing football games. But because we are scoring goals and we look like we're going to score, I'm not like in the sort of the high end worry. Um, we have not got a team that can afford to get dragged into a relegation fight because we have not got a team that are going to battle you out of the bottom three. But if we get dragged into it, we have got big, big problems because we don't have an Alan McCormack to battle our way out of it. We don't have a Jonathan Douglas to battle our way out of it and we don't have a Tamani Diaragarara to battle our way out of it. Um, I don't see those players at the club nowadays and that's fine when you're winning. But when you're losing and you're losing a lot, you sometimes need something a little bit different and um, I don't know where it's going to come from at the moment. August, September, we look one of the best sides in the league. Well beaters. We look well beaters and the, the, the turning point for me is that today... I think I'm right. Don't quote me on this. I think nine of the 11 today played against Rotherham first day of the season. We smashed them 5-1. We were second in the league in August. We looked brilliant in September. So you have to say it's the manager. Whatever he's trying to do isn't working. He's made good players worse. Whatever system he's playing is actually making these players we, we didn't, but we hadn't. I'm gonna just sorry to be interrupting you, but we hadn't won in I think it's six games in Dean Smith as well, was no, it? No, that is true, but we were drawing games, so we had this resilience about us. Under Frank, we've lost seven out of nine, and every game we're fighting battles where we're conceding these goals in clusters. So I don't think we're far away, but we're finding new ways of losing games, and that has to come down to the manager because he is the one that's putting this team out. And the players that were performing under Smith are just not performing now. And that has to be because of the manager, the system that he's playing and the team that he's picking. It's not a winning mentality at the club at the moment. And uh, the, the only way you, you address that is by, by shaking it up. And you need to identify where, where the issue is. And I, I do not believe that Thomas Frank is the right head coach for Brentford Football Club. Um, who, who that is, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel sorry for him. And it's unfortunate, but sometimes right man, wrong place, right, right man, wrong time. So the fans after the Swansea match, as you would have heard, talking about that game. And also, if you listen to our Love Sport radio show from Monday, we played the fans. We talked about this a lot. Uh, we discussed it a lot, but we're going to talk about it again because it's really, really important, really pertinent point here as well as we're sitting around here. And also there's a bit of time for reflection since Monday lots of things were said on that show and it's, we've had a couple of days to think about it and we thought tell you something let's sit around there in this posh pub here the George IV and let's talk about it 
first of all, we had Marcus Gale on the Love Sports Show. And like I said to you, if you go to prideofwest.london, just check it out because it, it was a good show. And there's some really, really interesting points that Marcus said. And uh, I'm just going to go around the table here and just see, you know, what the guys think about this. Because for me, you know, I've had various different people that I've spoken to, some involved in football, some not involved in football, loads of football fans. And lots of people have been saying something not quite right I can't quite work it out and you you try to do the usual you know unlucky and 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 bad luck and lack of confidence and all that kind of thing and like I said to you like last year you felt that we can get out of it you could see what the team was trying to do and and we were playing some great football but we weren't quite getting the results it just seems a little bit different this time but you couldn't quite put your finger in it so I thought Marcus's thoughts were very interested Count David uh, yes, yeah, they were, they were. Uh, I think I'm one of the people that I've been quietly alarmed with what's going on, but trying to keep a, a level head on it. But yeah, following on from Marcus, what he said, oh, sorry, Marcus Gale, so everyone knows who he is. I think there are a couple of things that he said that probably did set alarm bells off with me for the first, like, obviously not for the first time, but... Like professionals obviously notice stuff that, that us fans don't see or we, we, we see a lot of football but the fine details and the the bits that they probably see on aptitude and whether their head's right and things that would worry an ex-professional and things that we wouldn't notice for him to say that he saw some things that he didn't feel was right was probably the first time that I actually felt quite alarmed and and a bit worried about or more worried about Frank's temper. like what? just tell us I think his, yeah, so we know what happened at the beginning of the Swansea match. It looked like they started, well, they didn't start well, we know that because of how quickly they conceded the goal, but he alluded to, well, he didn't allude to, he pointed to seeing something in the warm-up which he didn't feel was right. He, what was that? He said that he thought Konza's head wasn't switched on. I think that's pretty much what he said. And he also stated that he thought Konza's warm-up was pretty much... It was half-hearted, I think he was, I think that's what he was getting at. It wasn't, it wasn't what you'd expect from a professional footballer playing for his club in the middle of a battle. I think he just felt like he expected more and it wasn't, it wasn't right. I think he needed more. He started to put some boxing analogies in there, didn't he? Yeah, he did, he did. He started stuff like he wasn't ready for the fight. Or, yeah, he, I think as well... He made a reference to the, the temperature, I think he said as well. Like, it wasn't cold. Uh, he was wrapped up. Was he really ready for the fight, basically? That's what he was, that's what he was getting at, I think. Uh, and again, you know, and it's in, I mean, I thought those thoughts were very interesting as well. You know, putting me, 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 me devil's advocate head on, you know, maybe Konza is different to other players and maybe for him wrapping up as he does before the game, that's what he needs to do to get himself warm and then he goes out there and, and just does what he has to do so you know and also you know and this is no disrespect because Marcus is a wicked player and a wicked guy we know him as well you know he played back in the day and it was you know when you know Marcus Gale and Terry Evans and all that they were doing their thing it was different to, to what is going on nowadays so can he equate what happened back in those days to now I'm not I'm not taking it away from Marcus but I'm just being devil's advocate here um, Seth I mean, I mean, on, on that point, I think uh, Marcus Gold d- does have an insight. I mean, he knows what you need to do to be ready in the very first minute, you know, in, in terms of, you know, being warmed up. And if you're not warmed up, and, you know, he says Conser wasn't be- getting warmed up, 
and he proved uh, you know to to you know be lackadaisical and so you know in a way Marcus Gale has been proved right but I think what I really uh, found interesting about his uh, his interview was how he was talking about those really fine details and I noticed a few myself uh, the, the thing that really I found really interesting was um, uh, was Watkins's post-match interview he said a couple of things and one of them was that um, the uh, he said, you know he says like, you know what what was he was asked what, what's going wrong what do we need to do and he says well you know we've, uh, we need to stick together but we also need a plan and I'm thinking bloody hell you've got a player saying we need a plan so who, what, who, who's that aimed at you know, uh, you know one of our best players saying we need a plan that sounds like there's something going wrong is he not getting direction from, from the top is he not getting direction from, from the coaches so that, that I thought was really telling uh, there was another thing he said. He was asked about um, after the third goal. There was that uh, um, that huddle that uh, was being instigated by Dalsgaard, and he was asked, you know, what what was said, and he said, well, to be honest, it was just uh, a load of people shouting, "Come on!" There was no direct message. I thought, bloody hell, you know, he's, he's saying this to an interviewer straight after the game, and this this is, sounds really bad. And if you actually looked at that huddle, it wasn't a proper one. Dalsgaard was trying to get them together. But they couldn't really be bothered, could they? they? They weren't actually properly together. They were kind of half-hearted. And if all they were doing was shouting, come on, and just going off, you know, that, that, that looks pretty bad. I think Dave was the comment on that. Yeah, I, 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 could, I, I can kind of see why they probably all wouldn't want to get together because you've probably got seven of that team going, well, it's nothing to do with me because I, I, I've, not, I've not even... The ball's not even come to me yet and it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all fluff-ups at the back, you know? Um, I, I was impressed with Marcus. Uh, I think I thought he really gave a different dynamic. So often, um, when you speak to ex-players or players that have just come out of the game, they seem to be really, really scared to say anything that's actually not contentious as such, but kind of anything that is actually from the heart or from the head. And people like speaking platitudes or they speak in cliches. He he really. He, he really kind of like took a deep breath and said, "Right, this is what I actually think." He actually answered a question, and I, and I think you know all credit to to Marcus for that. Um, and he, he gave us an insight. Um, you know, I'm not saying he's 100 percent right. You know, I'm not saying that everything he said is provably, demonstrably correct. But you know, for someone that's played seven, played 700 games, someone that's represented his country at the World Cup, someone who's played in the top flight in England and in Scotland. You know, he knows his stuff, Marcus. Um, and if he picks up those things, you know, he, he probably recognises, you know, certain players and kind of imagine himself going through. The, the ground has changed a bit, but not changed massively. He can probably still picture himself out there. And, and when he sees young players, he probably imagines sometimes like what it was like for him, and etc. And for him to pick out the, someone is half-hearted or not fully committed to starting that game um, flat out. I, I think we need to, you know, pay attention to that. Um, you know, and it's whether whether anyone wants to act on that, we'll we'll find out. I think the the other uh, reason for that half-hearted huddle was the person who was trying to trying to be a leader, trying to get it together, was Dalsgaard, who had just messed up. And uh, basically, was you know was at fault for that goal by giving that free kick away. 
Uh, the other thing I noticed, the other fine detail, sort of other marker scale, was that um, as we came out for the second half, just as the, um, the coaching staff were about to sit down in the dugout, Brian, uh, uh, Brian Reimer, Reimer, he was standing with, um, uh, with Barbe and Saeed Benrahma, and he was telling Barbe what to tell, Sa- to, to, to tell Saeed. So basically, he was Brian Reimer's English is very good, by the way, and he was telling uh, Barbie to basically translate into French for Saeed, and that kind of makes you think, hold on, we've just had the whole half time uh, to talk about this, and uh, they're kind of needing this translation, and it just felt at the time it just felt wrong. It felt the communication isn't there, and, uh, and I, I just just worries me that the that the you know the the coaching staff are struggling to communicate with a. Uh, player that's starting the game and he's there at half time in, in the uh, changing room yeah Sav is right to notice that that's that's pretty important but I would say that there could have been something very very specific that doesn't translate well from Frank and it needed it needed his own language to get a, a message across so yeah while we should read into that a little bit we, we don't know how detailed that particular part was so yeah got to be wary there but just following back on Marcus's so Billy said a few yeah brilliant things about Marcus is from a different era of football I mean not that long ago but he is from a different era and he may have noticed something in the warm-up which he says he did but the fact that something went wrong so early in the game has that overproved what he was thinking anyway so for instance my own view is actually the boys are all struggling the first thing they'd have been told to do in this match is don't panic, play your football and stay calm and you, you, stay, you go out there and you be confident. There's no Brentford player that's ever being told for that first 10 minutes, you get that ball and you hoof it up to the end of the pitch. So Konza really there was probably following instructions. He may, it may be that Marcus was right and he was, slightly, he was slightly lethargic and he wasn't properly tuned in. But I think more that was a case of him being a young defender, following the process, following instructions to the to the hilt, and instead of understanding that that was a moment to not follow the process and just get rid of it because we were in trouble, he uh, he tried his turn, he was robbed, and then we we went and conceded the goal. Okay, so what, what I'll ask about that, which is quite interesting, um, we've talked about this about the Brentford way. We talked about the Swansea way last night and the Brentford way, and we play a particular way of football. So all of a sudden now what we're saying here is that we play, and this comes up quite a lot, we're playing a particular style of football in a particular way and we won't deviate away from that, which is also a bit of a problem. You know what I'm saying? It's like we won't deviate away from it or we can't deviate away from it. But when we're in a situation, and you know, it was mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, that all of a sudden is that we're going to be under pressure now because now not only do we not have the results, but if we get into a bit of a relegation zone, then teams are going to be hitting us in a particular way the players are going to be less confident so we're going to have to try and change our style and change the way that we play now the fact is that we can't necessarily even though we love the way that we play football we've got to be we've got to be sensible we've got to be clever we know that we can't be giving away a ball or in, in the first minute and I know that it's right for Thomas Frank to turn around and say they need to learn how to defend they need to learn how to do this of course yes they do need to learn to do that but on the flip side of it they're also young they're 20 and 20 any person that you speak to a professional that you speak to and they say you know if you put young people in they're going to make mistakes so that's kind of what you get even the Swansea um, fans were saying we were 3-0 down 
and we still thought we'd lose 4-3 because we've got a young side and we'll make mistakes. So it's kind of like if you put the young players in, you expect them to make mistakes. You know, when we had the 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 the, the end, um, um, um situation when he was in there with with, with, um, with Mepham, it worked better for us. If we decide that we're going to make a decision where we decide that we need to put the players in to 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 make them make the mistakes, that's something we got to swallow. But the problem we got with that is that at the moment now it's costing us a lot of problems. It's, it's costing us. You know, it's costing us. It's. I, I still maintain that. It's, it's five or six identifiable small problems that are all culminating in one bigger problem at the moment. You know, we, we have identified that um, we haven't got a defensive midfield player. We have identified that sometimes I think Bentley plays the ball out from the back and he makes the, the slight wrong decision. You know, it's okay to play it out the back, but only play it out the back if someone's unmarked. I, my, my first impression from that, from that situation in the 26th second or whatever it was, there wasn't enough weight on the ball. Um, and by the time the ball got to him, he, he felt under pressure and he panicked a bit. And, you know, that's, that's understandable. So there's a few people making the wrong pass at the, at the, at the wrong time. I, I, I still I think there's one or two um, selection issues. I think there's a couple of substitution issues, and I think, as Sav alluded to, there might be a slight communication issue as well. All of you know the the, the translation from English into French to, to Ben Rama would have been exactly the same under Dean Smith. That that that, that wouldn't have changed. I don't think Smith's a fluent French speaker. So um, you know I, I think. There's a lot that's gone against Thomas Frank, but I think that he hasn't helped himself. And I think also there's a, there's a large slice of fate um, as well in all of this. And that's, you know, I don't think the stats people believe in fate, which is, which is fine. But I do a bit. And um, I think just sometimes things aren't destined to work out and you can't actually quantify the reason for it and but you can you can draw on experience and you can have comparisons elsewhere where you've seen that you kind of seen this before this pattern has played out you know so it is statistical it's a pattern it's a it's a, it's a there's, there's, there's a it's a kind of like rationale behind why you say something can't quite stick your finger on it and I can't quite put my finger on it either but that's what makes me think it's not going to work out for Thomas Frank so so yeah I mean, there are tweaks. We can, we can make tweaks, but there's a lot of them that need doing at the moment. And, and I think sometimes you need to have someone else to come in and go bang, 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 bang. There's, a, there's another little thought that I've had as well, is that sometimes you, when you get... You know, like when you get a situation where you get someone and, uh, as they say, the, these are big shoes for me to fill. So the person before you is so good, or they're doing really well, and then you've got to come in and try and do even better. And it's almost like you can't ever do that sometimes what people do is that if somebody wants to sort of job they like kind of let someone else take that job so that they kind of like because they know they're never going to be able to fill their shoes and then the next person comes in they look like the hero like you know now in a really strange way you had that after Warburton because obviously he did very well with Brentford despite what had happened behind the scenes on the pitch he did really well Dijkhausen came in and then he just never never going to happen you know never wanted because he had he had big shoes to fill didn't happen and then what's happened is that Dean Smith came in and he came in as a lower ebb 
he made a load of mistakes and everything like that and he was learned to grow with the club and he came in there I'm just wondering if that cycle has happened again now where it's like Thomas Frank has come into a, almost like an impossible situation Dean Smith has been right up there he's flavour of the month he's done everything right and he's come out at the, the highest XG he was number one Bradford are number one in the XG table when Dean Smith left and, 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 and what's it Aston Villa are number 19 18 I think it was now we're 19 and Aston Villa are number one so it's just like hey, flavour of the month so I'm wondering if we're in a similar situation that with Thomas Frank and the question I'll ask and I'm going to come to you Laney in a minute is like and we mentioned it on the radio show on Monday again the hole left by Smith and O'Kelly is it much bigger than anyone else has, has, has talked about you know is that hole so big that they'll leave so it doesn't matter who had come in anyone would might struggle to actually fill it yeah yeah it, it is a big it's a void and um we, you know and I, and I said on the radio show on on monday night that perhaps the thing that we're learning in between successful managers is the fact that you know you're right as soon as, as soon as that goes it's like what do we do next and, and i and i and i said this as a care a, a caretaker role or a, a transition role where you don't we don't necessarily appoint someone immediately so not someone someone's not expected to dovetail they step up and i said like maybe thomas frank should have stepped up into their caretaker capacity for three months and then if he proves himself he gets the job automatically and if he doesn't get the job he reverts back to the job where he was before so you've got you've got like this flux and he, he might get another another go at it if it doesn't work out in another three years but you don't you don't necessarily um scrub out what's working and then you know so if thomas frank wants to go back now maybe he probably can't so maybe you've lost a good man in the role that he was in before because you know the promotion's not work so i think maybe this a, a transition strategy may may work for next time I'm 100% with that. Uh, I think he should have been given the job on a temporary basis, uh, you know, just to, to bed him in, see see what he can achieve. Uh, but you know, by I mean, we kind of rushed it a bit, didn't we? I think you know we, we had time, but we, we kind of rushed the appointment. Uh, I mean, maybe he's the right appointment, but uh, have we given him enough support? Because we've we've lost uh, our head coach and his assistant, and replaced him with. Brian Riemer basically so you know that, that doesn't seem like a, a fair swap doesn't seem like enough support to Thomas Frank so have we kind of left him out to dry a little bit maybe you know we should have you know tried it in the way that uh, Dave suggested I mean, okay so we're talking about Thomas Frank here and you know to be fair I mean I've heard he's a really nice bloke I said you've only met him once but he's a really nice bloke he's really into his football He's really technical. He's had some success over in Bromby. We're still trying to see what he does here. He's obviously done some great stuff at, at Brentford. He's worked at the team with Dean Smith and Richard O'Kelly. Um, he's come into this job and his role. He's brought his man Brian Reamer in there. We've still got one hole to fill in the uh, as an assistant manager role. And you know, and also maybe this is unfair to, to to Thomas because maybe this is something that he has needed all the time. And there's an assistant manager role that you know that, that we're looking at. Um, and the, and the rumours flying around are there's Appleton, there's Keith Millen, 
and there's uh, Carsley, the old ex-Brentford um, youth team uh, coach, and also he's a, uh, he was a caretaker manager for us as well. So those are three rumours that are flying around, Laney. Now, all I was going to say on to, to round the, the bit that we're talking about, Thomas Frank, I know we're going to talk about the assistants at the moment, is I just think it's really, really important that we don't really cane him too much because, you know, he's not, it's not, you know, I, I, I don't want to get him, like, hounded out because he's done nothing absolutely wrong as such. He's not, he may not be doing enough right, but I don't think he's, I don't think he deserves to be, like, vilified and for him to become, like, ridiculed and almost, like, burnt at the stake over this. I mean, I think that's important. We, 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 we treat him with a bit of respect. I think, don't, don't be frightened to speak your mind, but treat him with a bit of respect. No, we, we, you know, we speak your mind, treat him with respect, but I mean, this is what we're going around the table here. We're looking at, you know, we're looking from all sides. We're looking at the fact that, like I said to you, we said that Thomas Frank has, hasn't got an assistant, you know. The fact that Thomas Frank has moved into maybe an impossible job where he's got to raise his bar higher than Dean Smith. So we're looking at other things as well, which has made his job even harder. And also the fact that with Dean Smith going, some of the players there may be just really bereft. You know, we're talking about Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins and Dean Smith are tight, you know. And Romain Sawyers and Dean Smith are tight. You can't say for the fact that Dean Smith decides I'm leaving after and I'm going and he's gone in about two days, he's out the door. You think they're going to go, all right, I'll pick it up, that's fine. That's a, that's a big gulf. And especially when players are creative and they're, they, you know, you need more than just, you know, you need sort of father figure type people around there as well. And it's difficult for somebody to just go in and fill that gulf. And I know it's easy to just say, well, that's your job, but it's, it's kind of like... Not anybody can do that. It takes time to build that up, like you know what I'm saying. But listen, let's just come back to the assistant managers because there's these three people have been thrown into the loop. It might not be them at all. But I know the Count David, the Appleton, you found him an interesting choice because from what I can gather, I'm not 100% sure, so there's some rumours going out there that saying deal done. Don't know if that's the case or if it's not the case as well. But if, um, if that is the situation, you thought that was interesting, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh... Yeah, Appleton. He's um, he's an interesting character. He's done some great things. I mean, he's been a caretaker in the Premier League for one. He, uh, I think it was Craig Shakespeare. He worked with Shakespeare alongside him and uh, at Leicester. Yeah, at Leicester, Shakespeare was appointed and brought, I think, um, Appleton in. Uh, he's done brilliantly in the lower leagues. I mean, he got Oxford promoted from League Two to League One, I believe. Um, he respects cups. I mean, there'll be no more. If he was here, I don't think Brentford would be taking the mick out of cups. We'd be taking cups quite seriously. Uh, he's. I mean, he's. He's an interesting character. There's a brilliant. Inter- uh, was he manager of Oxford when they beat us in the cup that time? Yes. Yeah. He was. Yeah. <laughs> he was. Yeah. That pitchgate. That was his doing. That was his doing. But no, this this is what I was going to reference. So he did a brilliant interview with the guys at the um, NT, uh, not the Top Twenty podcast. Uh, I think it was George Ellick sat down with Appleton and. It was really. Casual. George is a big Oxford fan. That's why he was very excited, wasn't he? He was. He was like an excitable child. He was blushing uh, like a schoolgirl. Um, but he was brilliant. Like it was really candid. He opened up and he spoke really, really well about about himself, about his future, about what he wanted, about like what he wanted in the game. Um, yeah, there's a few things that I found quite interesting because I, to be honest with you, I I've seen Appleton around a bit and I just didn't get him. I was I was thinking to myself, what's what's so special about him? Why do people find him? Interesting. He just, to me, he just, looked, yeah. I mean, he works out a lot. He's a coach. I didn't see. I didn't really see. I didn't really get it. But 
listening to the interview, I kind of, I kind of wrote him off after the first few minutes. I just thought he's another, he's another sort of football man. He's just another traditional football man. He he likes, he likes his coaching. He, he's just a bit motivational. Is is he just a trainer? But but I think there might be a bit more to him than that. Um, he said some things. Well, so firstly, I think we're what we'd be looking for in the assistant position is probably someone who fitted in with the Brentford way of thinking. Uh, stats-based approach we're high numbers we, we look at we look at that side of things uh, Appleton admitted that he wasn't too interested in that side of the game it didn't it wasn't really what he thought was the most important he he kind of found motivating players getting players in the right areas and moving the ball quickly and getting into harsh like dangerous areas and geeing the lads up for a big one-off game was more his style and I thought okay that's why maybe that's why Brentford haven't been interested previously but the more I think about it and the more I sort of look at him and actually delve a bit further into what he's done, I actually think he might be exactly what we need there. It's, it kind of feels like that's what we're lacking. I think Frank's a very detailed guy. He's probably very, I mean, he is, he's intellectual, he, he gets it. But are we missing someone now who is actually going to get up off the sidelines and roll up the guys? Who is going to make sure they are in shape? Who is going to say to Konza, those first five minutes, I mean, come on, I want to be... St- do they, are they missing someone on the sidelines that is there doing the sort of stuff that, that Appleton would do? And I, I, think, I think yes, I think they are. But the, but the question I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to come back to you guys in a minute, isn't it back to front then? Because, you know what I'm saying? Because you, you, and, and I'm just asking the question because we have to ask the question now. You're saying, oh, you bring him in to do all these things, then if he's the person then shouldn't he be the head coach and then somebody else is doing this or does it or can it work the other way I, I don't know I'm just asking the question yeah no I, I kind of agree I think it's quite easy to, for us to look at look at the hierarchy at Brentford and think they do they do do so much right but the timing of this does seem a bit off it seems like Frank's been appointed with his hands behind his back a little bit Frank has been there for a while so he I mean the succession plan has probably been thought about for a while they knew what they were going to do with Frank. Should the more thought have been given to who's going to be supporting him? I mean, should they have thought more and should they have thought quicker and should they have put more effort into into what's going to be around Frank and what what is he lacking? Because they know him well. He's been, it's not like he's just rocked up at the club. He's been there for two years. They know his strengths. They know his weaknesses. Have we made a bit of a gaffe here in the sense of should we, yeah, should we have been thinking about getting in his... Yeah, sort of hiding his weaknesses in a sense. It just seems like he's a little bit exposed at the moment. That's, that's how I kind of see it. I think when when um, when Smith was struggling, we uh, helped him out. We brought in Thomas Frank. We we kind of, we kind of all felt that tactically he might not have been as uh, as good as he should be, but uh, his man management was you know first class. And so maybe now that you know we, we put Thomas Frank up, we need the opposite we need to turn it right around and get the man manager in and I mean I've, I've um, one of those sort of Radio 5 sort of you know two hour long things I, I listened to a while back that had Michael Appleton on talking about everything to do with football and he really impressed me I thought he was fantastic really knows his stuff really a clear communicator get, gets all his ideas across really fascinating so I, I think you know, he's, you know if we got him I think it would actually be a coup uh, but whether whether he comes in to replace Thomas Frank or whether he comes in to support Thomas Frank, I don't know. If he's willing to do it, I think that would be a really good move for us. Yeah, I, I think we're just hoping that um, 
the people that make the decisions make the right decisions and they don't make decisions based on um, don't don't want to look like they've made a bad decision previously I think if um, they feel that Thomas Frank is technically perfect but he lacks those motivation those kind of arm round the shoulder fatherly um, uh, nurturing uh, abilities then they need to get they need to flip it you know um, and if it, if it, whoever that may be, you know, we're obviously we're not privy to any recruitment um, negotiations that are going on. We don't really know who's who's been interviewed, who hasn't been interviewed. I hear some people have had second interviews, but and, unless unless you know 100, percent but there, there's some there's something that the, the mix is wrong. It's it's like a marriage, you know. It doesn't it doesn't really matter who who's the, the breadwinner. As long as, as long as the dynamics right, it doesn't matter who wears the trousers. As long as it, as long as it works, it works, you know. And um, you know, I, I, I just think that they need to identify what isn't working quite quickly, and then and flip it. And I don't, I don't, I don't think Thomas Frank deserves to get sacked out of the club. It's just that you know, we we are we are certainly missing what O'Kelly and Smith brought to the party at the moment. And I said to you on the on the radio show on, on Monday night, Bill. It's just that I, I feel a little bit um, surprised that they didn't they didn't know that they didn't know that they needed his father figure, and they knew that it wasn't going to work for Frank because of that. They know him better than any of us, so you look to you look to replicate what you had before as near as is possible. And you know, I, 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 yeah, sometimes you've got to go on a hunch, but I think I think what 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 um what um, Smith and O'Kelly had was clearly working and they, and they probably needed to, to find that as near as damn it. And sometimes, but the other thing is that sometimes you don't know what you've got till it's gone. So I think with the club, they, um, you know, they, 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 Thomas Frank is there and they just thought, you know, but, you know, Richard Kelly being there, you know, Richard Kelly being there at seven o'clock in the morning. They had to try Frank. They, I mean, I'm not knocking them. They they had to try Thomas Frank, but you know, I, I and I think, but that equally, if it's not working, they need to kind of retract it. It can't it can't be they needed to try him and they have to keep trying him in in, in perpetuity. They need to work out how they're going to settle it if they don't believe it's going to work. If they do believe it's going to work, then you know we'll find out over Christmas, won't we? Listen, and they're talking about you don't know what you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And obviously, Thomas, um, and obviously, um, Dean Smith and Richard Kelly are now at Aston Villa, and you know we're coming near to the transfer window. And this is the time when we we get a little bit shaky. We get a little bit shaky now, and uh, there's a rumor going around. Again, we don't normally go with the rumours. We don't normally go with the rumours at all because, you know, there's a million rumours going around. Most of them are started by the managers or, or the, uh, the, the start by the agents of the players. But this one, you know, when Villa were linked with Romain Sawyers, it could be started by someone in the press, could be started by an agent. But that was one that we just thought to ourselves, that's quite an interesting one. You know, Romain Sawyers being linked to Aston Villa and, you know, he's got 18 months left on his contract, as we know, in the summer, you know, He'll have a sign a new contract with us, or he's going to have to go. That situation, could this be the start? And also Brentford not being in prime position as well. So obviously you've got players who are thinking, mm, actually, tell you something, you know, if they get a little chance to get out and maybe inverted commas better themselves, they'll be doing all right. Just quickly. So, uh, Romain Sawyers, Aston Villa, what do you reckon? Or do you think this is all 
kerfuffle and, and, and Brentford are going to be okay and we're going to ride this window okay? Uh, well, when I heard the rumour, I sometimes when you hear rumours, you you kind of just think, oh, that's just nonsense or it's just it's just rubbish. But the the remain sort. I think everyone had that fear anyway. So Smith, I think if you ask Smith who his favourite player was privately, he'd say remain Sawyer's. He, I think he absolutely adores him. He loves him. He's brilliant. He's he's managed him before. He's he was probably one of the first, other than Ryan Woods, I'd say Sawyer's is probably one of the other, yeah, the other like first, second picks on the team sheet. He always played under Smith. And uh, he kind of fits into Smith's role well. He does exactly what he needs him to do. He's that attacking midfielder who hovers around the edge of the opposition's box, who picks the ball up in really advanced positions and does really well for them. Like he's, yeah, he's one of Smith's favourites. But the, the chain of events is quite, yeah, it kind of fits. I think Aston Villa are probably going to lose Grealish soon, or I'm not sure if he's injured or... Something doesn't feel right with him. He signed a big contract, but that means nothing. I think they were just trying to legitimise a fee for him because no one would pay, no one would stump up what they wanted in the summer. And Or maybe they didn't want him, but now he has a big contract. So I think he'll be off soon if it's in January, if it's the end of the season. And Smith's probably thinking, who in the league is the best at what I want to do? Who can I trust? Who can, who can deliver my message on the pitch? So do you think, I mean, Romain Sawyers can replace Grealish? Because that's, again, big boots to, to, to fill. Uh, I think Aston Villa fans listening to this would, would be horrified. But I actually think, yes, I think, I think Sawyers could in, in Smith's system and delivering what Smith wants. I mean, for all we know, Smith could be annoyed at Grealish because he doesn't play how Sawyers plays. There, there are, that sounds weird probably to a lot of people, but... Sawyers may understand what Smith wants on the pitch a lot more than Grealish. Grealish is quite young, he's still learning, he, he's got his own flaws, he's quite, yeah, I mean, he, he may have his own problems and Smith may be just sort of having to deal with him or know what's going to happen in the next phase. But without doubt, I can, I can see Smith certainly liking the idea of, of Sawyers joining him at Aston Villa. It makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I can see it happening as well. I mean, uh, Sawyers is my favourite player, let alone Dean Smith's. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, you can see that the timing is kind of right. Um, again, Romain Sawyers comes from the Midlands, you know, in the same way that um, Ryan Woods wanted to go back to the, the Potteries. You know, you, you, you can see it happening. You know, all the, all the, the contract timing, um, us being a bit, um, being a bit so not very good at the moment. <laughs> let's put it that way. Yeah, it, it all fits. I can see it happening. And I, I can also see Phil Giles thinking, uh, pound signs January, get better, better money for him then. I can see it happening. Oh uh, Yeah, I would add as well, um, Sawyer's his age. I think he's 27, so he's in his prime years. So this deal that he gets now will probably be the, I mean, individually, it'll probably be the biggest deal he ever gets. So whether he gets that at Brentford or whether he, yeah, whether he gets that at Villa, uh, probably quite different in terms, of, in terms of how much he's going to be paid. If he goes to Villa for this deal... I think he's going to do a lot better than he would if he was staying. And you can't really, yeah, I mean, you can't really blame him for that either. He has to secure his own future. He's got, yeah, he's got his own game to think about. And we don't know how, I mean, he may miss Smith massively. I mean, there's, could, yeah. We, and as we say, and again, we keep, you know, mentioned this before, but we have to, because as we get closer to January and as we keep losing more and more matches, we have to be more and more nervous for that January window. I mean, I have to say that it's always been my fear, even before this had happened beforehand. When we, you know, even under Smith, when we were like languishing a little bit mid-table, I was thinking January's going to be a problem for us because the fact is that you know what it's like. When we were flying high, you could see all the players were like, "Yes, 
top of the league, yeah, look, no one can beat us. But all of a sudden, you're 15th, 16th, 17th. You're, you're going to be subject to somebody comes in for your players and then you're going to have to make a decision. And I'm just worried that January could be a little bit tricky for Brentford. And if it's tricky for Brentford, it could make our season a lot trickier. Yeah, I think you're right there. I, I think a big worry for me where we're not playing well is... Uh, I think we've got three or four players that we would be looking to get rid of not get rid of is pretty harsh but we'd be looking to move on because we've got other players coming through where it impacts us where we're not playing well and we start to get people poaching our, our actual assets is we could lose players that we probably don't want to lose and because of numbers and because of difficulty and I mean you can't sell half your squad it's not, it's not, it's not physically possible you can't do that many deals but we could end up having to keep players that we would be looking to move on because we're having to let go players that we actually want to keep because of our performance in the league. So it could get tricky. I hope it doesn't. I hope I hope it doesn't. But I think we know the few that I'm talking about. There's probably Yanaris, probably Judge, probably McLeod as well. And yeah, I mean, maybe McEachran as well. It sounds like a lot, a big core, but... Those are the players we want to sort of move on from strength. We don't want to be losing our players. That are, we don't want to be losing our strongest players from a weak position. Sort of Sawyer's, Morpai, the centre backs. Those are the ones we need to keep. And it might be that if we're not doing well, those are the ones that actually go, and we could be in a bit of trouble. So, so I've got to talk about. Just going to just move on quickly because we're just we're rolling and rolling here, and then we'll just talk about a few other things. Something that we've, we've not really talked about because to be quite honest with you, we just didn't want to go there. But we just think, look, we do a podcast, we discuss certain things. We have to discuss this because it is an issue. It probably might come about, but we have to discuss it because we are losing matches. And uh, beforehand, two months ago, we were favourites for promotion. I remember that day and everyone goes, Brentford favourite promotion. It was quite a proud day, but we thought, oh no, it can only go wrong from here. And it's gone really horribly wrong. At the moment... Brentford are 25 to 1 to get relegated. Okay, that's probably still quite big odds. People are saying, oh, okay, it's not too bad, but to be honest, we weren't even in the relegation odds zone beforehand. We are now. I'm just talking to you guys around the table here. What are the odds? And what do you think could go even worse for us? You know, you know, we might be lucky. We might have three players who go down injured or or we might get four players that leave in, in January and also and we can't get anybody else in. How much of a danger is this that we might actually be flirting in the relegation zone? The count. <laughs> uh, I don't know if rele- relegation has to be spoken about, I guess. But for me, I don't think... Yeah, I mean, 25 to 1 is pretty big. Like, To be honest, there's some really bad teams in this division. We are... We are much better than a lot of teams in this division. Once we play our football, once once a few goals coming in, we won't even be having this conversation. I think the main danger would be uh, uh, Thomas Frank winning a couple of games. We stick with him, don't change anything, and then realise that they were just the blips. Uh, we lose some of our uh, really crucial players in January, and then we could just slip right down. That's the danger. don't think it'll happen, but it's a danger. We're not going down. Fact. We're too good a squad, we're too good a team, we're making mistakes at the moment, I, I have got faith in them rectifying it, 
we've got more than half a season to go. E- even if this run continues for the next two, three, four games, we, we've still got bags of time to, 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 to get the points we need to stay in this division for another year. And, and that's not me being flippant, and, that, and that's not me resting on my laurels, and that's not me saying that no matter what happens, we'll be all right. What, what I'm saying is it will be all right because the right decisions will be made, and I, I think they'll pan out. At the next, the next Saturday's massive. You know, if we, if we if we don't if we lose if we lose on Saturday, you know, it, it becomes it becomes more and more impossible for things not to change. You know. And then if we lose on Saturday and they still don't pull the plug and we don't win against Bolton, you know, it, 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 it becomes, you know, we've, we've, we've used the word untenable. But, 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 I, but, okay, but just sorry to interrupt you, but I think Saturday is slightly unfair because I think we're away from home against a team who's actually got some quite good players and they're battling as, as well. So I think for us to sort of expect not to lose against Hull... I think it's just, I think it's a bit much, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I wouldn't have wanted, expected to lose against Swansea. That was a different thing. But I think Hull, I'm banking it all on Hull, I think it's a bit where we have not won... A, listen, even under Dean Smith, we hadn't won away from home. So for us to expect to win at Hull... I'm not, I'm not saying because, because it's Hull. I'm saying on the, on the back of the, the run, when, you know, 8 out of 10 becomes 9 out of 11 and then it becomes 10 out of 12, or, you know, or there's a, another draw... It, it becomes more and more difficult for the DOFs and the owner to kind of justify not making a change. And I, and I, and I, I, I get the like the loyalty to someone, and I and I admire the we're not as cutthroat as everyone else, but, and we give people time. But you know, it's, in any job up and down the land, you get a three-month probationary period, and if it's not working out in a job, you normally get the, you know you normally get the elbow. So. You know, it's um, and again, you know, you've you've heard what we've said consistently. We're not necessarily adv- advocating him to get sacked full stop. You know, it's whether the head coach role is the right one going forward, and then you need you, we need to make those decisions. I hope we win on Saturday, and I hope we beat Bolton, and then bit by bit he gets the confidence of the players back. But we'll see. It, but what I'm do- what I am saying is, if we do lose on Saturday and we do lose against Bolton. You know, come on, going into Christmas, that is, that's rotten. Um, I'm, I mean, I have to say, I mean, we're talking about are we going to go down. I mean, are we going to go down? Listen, we've got to keep an open mind about this. One thing I would say, though, is that probably fortunately, and, and I know Bolton fans won't be saying fortunately, but fortunately, there are a couple, at least a couple of teams in this league who are in a, a really bad position. Bolton Wanderers, they've actually got no money. So, uh, because they've got no money, it means that they're going to have to probably sell some players or sell a load of players in January as well. Phil Parkinson's probably going to leave, and he's going to go to—I don't know—he's going to go. He's got a couple of vacancies around. I think he's been touted around already. So, Phil Parkinson's going to leave. They're going to probably have to take one of their um, youth team coaches to manage them because they don't, they're not paying anybody. Because at the moment they're not paying any wages. The PFA just had to pay half of half of Bolton Wanderers' wages this month as well. They're in a really, really bad situation. And basically, they're going to have half their team gone in January. They're going to have a probably a youth team coach looking after them. So they're going to be really sort of kind of struggling to get out there. So Bolton are down there as well. Um, and, and who else are down there as well? So it's Bolton Wanderers and Ipswich. And Ipswich Town at the moment now. I mean, they're, they're struggling. Yes, they've got 
a very experienced manager there, but they're properly down in the dumps as well, and they can't buy a win at the moment now. And I've been speaking to my Ipswich chums, you know, and they're just saying we are absolutely terrible at the moment now. And I know that we think that we're having it bad, but they're kind of bad. So as well, they're, they're, they're very bad at the moment now. As then Reading, they've just sat their manager, so things might change. And I think apparently, I think money might be coming into Reading as well at some stage. So that might change the landscape in Reading. But at the moment now, the fans are hating it. They're really in a bad way. They hate the club. They hate this disenfranchisement. It's all over in Reading as well. There's no togetherness with the team and the fans and everything like that. So there's, there's problems there. So for us to say there's three spots there which we'll have to be really terrible to, 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 do, to, to, to do badly. Uh, my, my gut is saying as well, you know, the way that Brentford operate is that they believe in the man and they want to help them. And I, I really honour that and I think that's really good. And they're obviously looking at somebody, like the assistant manager, to come in and work with um, Thomas Frank because he's not been given that chance. And also the fact is I think they believe is that if we're not going to go down and we ain't going to go up, there's no point changing things at this very moment in time. So we'll end up winning some matches, losing some matches, winning some matches, losing some matches. And that's probably as well is how they see it. Undoubtedly, if we end up losing the next five or six games, then there'll be a rethink on that. But my thought is that Brentford is going to continue as it is with the management structure as it is now. This is just my thoughts. I might be wrong. You know, with a new assistant manager in place who actually may change the dynamic and change things you know if anyone else got any thoughts about this at the moment now or on the now but there's no other thoughts because we've been talking a lot now a lot we've been chatting about Brentford and the match and the Swansea and the management and whether or not we're going to go up or down we thought that we're going to come back after this little twang and we're going to talk about posh seats because we just wanted to lighten things up a little bit it's all been a little bit dark in and around Griffin Park recently. So, as I'm sitting around here with my posh chums here today, we, like I said, we had a little bit of a joke a little bit earlier as we were talking about poshness. But the reason why is that literally mm, a couple of hours before we came to do this podcast today, we got hit with an email about posh seats. Brentford are launching posh seats apparently we thought what the hell are posh seats and there is all sorts of stuff flying around social media and we thought hmm okay so if they're posh seats where is everyone else going to sit and so we put a little a, a little poll up on beside just for a couple of hours for a little bit of a laugh because we're in dark times at the moment now because we haven't won very matches so we just thought let's get a little bit of humour injected as we run into Christmas and the poll said after the posh seats what do you think the rest of us will be sitting in what area and uh, the poll is all over it's finished and the, the bottom of the poll was the Ann Becks area posh and Becks you get it posh and Becks 7% of the Ann Becks area then there was the poor zone 24% of fans thought that we'll be, we'll be sitting in the poor zone 33% of the fans and this is quite tight thought we'd be sitting in the shit seats but 30, 33% that was but 36% thought we'd be sitting in the scum pen so it looks like the scum pen is the winner 200 votes mate yeah, there's 200 votes in what, a couple of hours I think it was like you know so there we go so the scum pen so basically we are scum yeah we are scum. so we've got the posh seats and we've got the scum pen as well so you know so there, there you know there you can have it so you can choose what you want to but like I said to you the posh seats um, you've seen the video if you just go to the Brentford FC site also if you go to to, uh, to Besotted as well, we've uh, retweeted it, we quote tweeted it as well, because we just asked, what do you think? There's a video that's gone out there, and it's just got 
it's got videos of the seats there's people smiling they're very happy and there's burgers involved as well they look very nice the burgers as well so this is what you can get in the posh seats there's been lots of things going down where people have been talking about you know oh we're not happy posh seats you know we've lost it and then other people seem to be very happy but um just going around the you know just a couple of couple of the comments have gone down you know as long as posh aren't division one seats that's mr eng you know so um, Joe Thompson, I don't care, just don't want to be a division team playing in a modern crap hole with 4,000 people watching. Focus on staying up. So Jason of London thinks it's a good idea. Uh, so Tom Foy, as long as the posh seats keep the cheap seats cheap, who cares? So Tom Foy is very happy because he thinks that he's going to subsidise the cheap seats. As long as those cheap seats are cheap, that's the most important thing. Um, Dina Gatta, not a good marketing idea to call them posh. Almost as bad as prawn sandwiches, like, you know. Headless B, I think the phrase and timing leaves a lot to be desired. I appreciate they're vital to the sustainability of the club, but just call them premium hospitality. Why make ourselves look stupid by calling them posh? Not happy. And then afterwards, it's like, you know, as someone struggles to get the family to many Beast games due to cost, these are relevant to me and my family. 37 for the four of us for the bottom club. Just Cunning Fox, poor timing. There's all sorts of comments there if you just check on the beside. Agree doesn't sound right to me, says Andy Davis. Um, Joe, necessary for the club to adapt and move forward for the modern era, despite awful marketing and terrible name. Again, we're just reading these straight from the besotted Twitter line. So there's different views that are happening out there. Guys around the table, posh seats, what are you saying? May you think of actually investing and getting involved in a bit of posh seat action? It's at the side, it's padded, you can get a burger. And, um, and also, to be honest with you, yeah, listen, other clubs do it. And people seem to enjoy it. What are you saying? Uh, well, from being from uh, St. Reetha myself, the posh seats are probably right up my street, actually. But no, seriously, uh, I, the idea uh, it itself is absolutely fine. We need, uh, we need luxurious seats, we need expensive seats, and we need them to be bringing in more money than average seats. It's, how you, it's sort of how you survive today. You maximise your your revenue wherever you can. So there's nothing wrong with the idea of it, but the timing of it is horrendous. I think. I think. Why? Well, I get marketing campaigns probably take a lot of planning, and they sort of deliver stuff when they do, and they'll have um, they'll have like execution dates, and they'll be working this video for ages. But in the middle of the run that we're on now, it just doesn't feel right that you're kind of setting out these posh seats. I mean. I feel, I feel like it could have waited. I think what they could have done is just pause the yeah the strategy could have been looked at and said, let's give this a couple of weeks, uh, let's let's reassess, let's win a few games, let's get a bit more positivity around, and then let's release this news then instead of trying to release this so that we kind of forget about things or it's like a distraction or or a sort of smokescreen. The timing's really bad. It it kind of just feels a bit inept to me, and I won't make it. I won't make too much of a joke of it. But when I watch the video. <laughs> I felt like, so obviously everyone's seen The Apprentice. To me, it felt like, it actually felt like someone had, on The Apprentice, had made one of those really bad adverts or those videos and sort of sent it out to Sugar and he'd, he'd watch it and he'd be like, what the hell is that? But I'll say, so there's two things here. First of all, you're talking about the timing, which is bad and the seats. So first of all, interesting, you're saying that the idea is good. So you lot, the idea for seats, listen, let it happen. We need it for a club. Um, you're saying, but then you're saying the timing is not necessarily the best timing, but it needs to happen. So if it was in January or February or even two weeks later, that's fine. 
But then now you're talking about the actual content itself. What was? What were you not happy with it? Uh, well, yeah. So as you said, the timing, and I, I actually think the quality of it was quite poor as well. It didn't. But you said the Apprentice video. What? Just tell us exactly. Uh, so the, all of the Apprentice videos, basically, all of the adverts they deliver are. They're pretty rubbish. They're pretty crap. They're they're low quality. They're just a bunch of guys who are on a TV program who should be better at what they do, but they just yeah they just deliver these awful lame videos. They're they're lame. They they miss the point. They don't kind of encapture what what they're kind of trying to deliver. They're, they're poor quality, and that's how I that's how I felt watching that. I don't feel like it delivered a message properly. I think it missed the point. It was the posh seats name is it's a bit weird to me. I, I can't put my finger on what the what the club are trying to do there. I, I, I get the jokey side of it and trying to make a make a joke side of like having these sort of luxurious posh seats, but for me, it's um, it, it's wider the mark. It's yeah, it's not right. I think um, for me that the, the the phrase posh seats is a little bit jokey, and I think it, it only works if you're aiming it for the right audience. I think if the audience is corporate, then I think it's wrong. If the audience is um, normal Brentford fans that maybe just want to have that little bit of extra, then I think it might might work in a kind of nice jokey way. We're inclusive. It's all a bit of fun. I think with with the video, I I, I get what the count is saying. I think um, it's, it's it's got that kind of, especially the sort of the images of you know the, the where the burgers were and stuff like that. It kind of looked a bit like the um, the Walpole Park uh, Village uh, McDonald's. It wasn't it wasn't that exciting it was just like a normal kind of um sort of kind of pub grubby type type place you know so yeah the video wasn't great but um, yeah I, I, I kind of get where they're coming from i think they might be missing the mark if depending on who they're aiming it at uh i think uh in the middle of this run it's, it's almost like it's like it's almost impossible to launch anything uh humorous and and get away with it and so it's, I, 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 I kind of understand what they were trying to do, and I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat anyone up for trying something different. You know, the 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 poll, you know, it, it isn't about ridiculing anyone, and you know, I'm sure it's going to be the posh seats and the cheap seats, and I and I hope the cheap seats are cheap. Um, and what we're hearing is that you know the posh seats that have been unveiled tonight, at a, you know, a test test event. They're not that expensive, so you know I, I don't know what the price is, but I've been told they're not that expensive. So, you know, if if if, if it follows that the cheap seats are are really cheap, then you know that means we probably stand a good chance of filling this new stadium from day one. Um, yeah, I, I think just just so just just I'm just going to come because you're talking about the, the the price of these seats aren't necessarily cheap. We don't know what they are, but obviously a normal seat will cost you twenty five, thirty quid. So if these seats are 40 or 50 quid and you get this all thrown in, you're saying that there are people within, not necessarily our lot, but that, that might actually think, actually, that might not be too bad. I might go for some of that. I don't, I, whether it's 50 quid or not, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, but I'm, all I'm saying is, you know, if, if, if it was a, if it was 50, you know, I'm, I'm talking hypothetically now, if, somewhat, if, it, if it was 25 quid to get into our new stadium, but you could pay 45 and you got you got a, a burger that looks as good as the burger that was in the vid and, and, and a pint and a programme, then it looks a bit more attractive and maybe you want to, you know, have a beer in the stadium. But, you know, 
I, I'm not. I'm, I'm probably never going to be one of those people that ever wants to go to a stadium and be entertained. I'd rather always go to a, a, a proper pub and have a proper pint and then go go to a stadium. I'm not, and I'm not saying I'll never go corporate hospitality. I think you know sometimes in life it's nice to just push the boat out and do something different. But I, I, I never want to watch my whole my match day experience isn't. I never want it to be that kind of clinical. So um, you know, for me, I'm happy to do my own thing. But other for other people, you know, I think if you could package it up and you got you got a decent burger and a and a pint and a pint at half time maybe as well and a program and you know, I think that's probably quite attractive and a padded seat. Unfortunately, some of the people on this podcast need padded cells, not padded seats, especially that liberal. You're going to have to send them away. So listen, posh seats, listen, there'll probably be more talked about that as we're moving on. We think the timing, I mean, you know, I said that, everyone says it. Maybe it's not the club's fault that they probably didn't embark on the fact or or didn't sort of predict the fact that we're going to go on a horrendous run when they actually kind of put these seats out um, to tender, to to put out to the public. But at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have to make a bit of an impact. And probably this week before we play Hull, a couple of weeks before Christmas, isn't necessarily going to make the biggest impact but you know listen I think what's more important and what we're more excited about is what's going to be happening with the rest of the stadium this is us fans what's going to be behind the goal how big that standing section is going to be how we can you know how, how we're going to make this, the noise and make that stadium an absolutely brilliant because to play because you know them padded seats and them that that, that, that that posh area may be fine but what's going to really make Brentford Brentford is what's going to be happening in the rest of that stadium Laney I was going to say, you know, I've said it off mic and I'll say it again. It's just that, you know, in, in these times when results have really gone against us and, you know, things aren't going well, you know, everyone's kind of slightly turning against each other. There's a massive sense of humour failure. And, you know, this, this does... The buy-in of the posh seats requires a sense of humour and probably that's the thing that's going to be missed at this stage you know when if, if this was conceived when we were doing well and you know it, it, I get it I, I absolutely get it and, it and it would have made sense unfortunately timing of this is we're we're in this we're in this doggerel run of form and it seems a little bit misplaced to have a kind of a play on words at the moment and you know we're we, we've we've um, you know we've we've joined in and we and we've kind of like had a laugh about it, but you know our, you know we all hope it's a success, don't we? You know none of us want to leave Griffin Park for a soulless bowl, you know. And if they're trying to fill it up, then good luck to them. Good luck to them. Good luck to Brentford. Good luck to well, let's good luck to us because we're sitting down there with the old champagne sipping over on the old the old the open mic here. They keep on calling us over and we keep on sort of turning our heads down because like. Open mic night at the Georgia Fourth, poshest pub in the world, as we say. But listen, we've got more to talk about, can you believe it or not? Because we've got Count David Anderson III here, and he has got some facts and figures for us which he wants to throw across the table for us to discuss after this little twang. So, of course, we've got a man in the house. The Count David is in the house here, the Count. And we thought, listen, he's got all sorts of information pieces of paper, computers, all things he's wired up to. And we just thought, Count David's Bean Count is this little section here where he's going to give us information that we had no idea existed out there as well. Now, I'm just going to say to you as well on the Bean Count, because you're going to give us some information about um, Brentford now and our season so far. But I want to just say, I was sitting down, we on next Friday, 
We've got the Pride of West London Christmas bees up at the Fuller's Brewery. Still go on to besotted.com, get your tickets, click on that. Go and get your tickets, it's going to be wicked. Lloyd Wusu and Darren Powell are going to be there and uh, we're going to have a great night. It's an open bar all night, you just buy your tickets, we're going to have some beers in the brewery. Really great fun. Then afterwards we've got a little after party, we're going to go on somewhere else afterwards as well, which is all good. But the thing I'm going to say to you is that Lloyd Wusu, I've, I've, you know, obviously one of my favourite Brentford players, and uh, I was looking through his goals video and I was thinking, it was brilliant. The way that he played, he was fast, he was agile, he was he was tall, he hit the ball, he shot the ball, he beat players. And I was just looking through his goals video and at that season, I mean, I know that, okay, it was Division 2 and that stage it was Division 1, but, you know, so the opposition wasn't necessarily championship, but still, it was wicked and it was exciting. And uh, and, and you, 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 just, you always felt that, you know, if he was on the pitch, you're always going to be able to get a goal. And this is not disrespect to the players that we got there because we've got some great players on our side as well. But just looking through that video really did make me smile. So I'm very much looking forward to next Friday with Lloyd Abusu at the Fuller's Brewery. It was League Two. It was the bottom. It was well, the that's bottom. what I'm saying. I said League Two. I said League Two and also League One. Yeah, but you know, hey, that's how it goes. But listen, the count. You've had a little look at the season so far in the championships, which I know is very different from League Two, but still... You can only be in the division you're in and you can only play the football you're in and you've got to adapt. And uh, how are we doing so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you think we could do a Wusu today. How much of an impact he'd have? He'd be pretty good. I think he'd, yeah, I think he'd be pretty good. But yeah, I, I tried to, uh, as we're all looking, we've got so many problems or seems like a lot of problems, trying to sort of make sense of what's going on. And uh, it's, it's really hard, yeah. It's hard to make sense of it. So what I did, I tried to look at... Uh, what we've done so far in terms of spinning the t- like splitting the league up into two halves so we play 21 games now so first 10 games second 11 games so two halves almost halves and uh, yeah I mean it's it's hard to notice what's gone on but if we look at the first 10 fixtures so I think there at the end of those fixtures at the end of September if we use that as a cutoff Expected goals, I'll just give you a quick summary of expected goals. So we talk about this a little bit, maybe some people aren't aware, but it's a way to measure or evaluate team or individual performance using shot data. So scoring goals, shots, the main thing we're trying to do. So in a simple way, it basically looks at chances created, so the quality of these chances. How, how good are they? Are they close? Are they, are they far away? What's the likelihood of those chances to score? So chances created and chances faced. So, 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 so what is a good... Good, what is good in expected goals? What is a chance, a good chance in expected goals, which gives you a high rating? So a good chance in expected goals is, I'll use a bad example, but where Konza lost that ball on the weekend and Swansea nipped in and then they played that ball across, that tap-in that, uh, who was it, Olsen? Was it Olsen that scored the first goal? Whoever scored the first goal for Swansea, sorry, it's just escaped me. It was the, little, the little goal, what's his name? Um, yeah, oh, was it? Yeah. Uh, no, it's Routledge, sorry, Wayne Routledge. Basically, Wayne Routledge scoring from right on the goal line is a very high chance of scoring he can't I mean you say that he can't miss from there it's a it's really really high chance of scoring so that's a high expected goal is it it's very high expected goal so basically we're looking at chances around the six yard box one-on-one with the keeper chances like really close in that's where you want to be shooting from and what about say um when when Canos took that really wicked volley and he hit the crossbar from what about 30 yards what was that uh, from about 30 yards well yeah so that gets weak uh, Oh yeah, three yards. Sorry, he's added on a zero. It was very close. Yes. Yeah, no, so no. The, vol- the what's the volley from three yards? The, 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 the Reading. 
Well, yeah, so from 30 yards, that would be a low chance of scoring. So you, that's what we're looking at here. You, we're saying don't shoot from so far away. It's a low-risk shot. Wait until you sort of work a better chance. And that's what we do. We try and work better positions at better chances and score from higher probability locations. That's what we're essentially trying to do. Anyway, let's come back to your, so what you've sort of looked at the first... Oh, up to September in this season? Yeah, yeah. So the first 10 games in September. So we were averaging XG4, about 1.6 a game. So that was pretty good. At that point, we were one of the best. What is the best? I mean, how does that work out with everybody else? Again, no one knows what that means, 1.6. Yeah, yeah. So Leeds at that time were probably thought of as the best team. I think they were about 1.65. So us and Leeds, we were thought of as the best teams in the league at that point. So that was September. Uh, XG against, so shots against, we were about one, uh, we were under one, so we were conceding, the chance we were conceding worked out to under one goal a game. So that was also one of the best in the league. So between us and Leeds, at that point at the end of September, 10 games in, if you look at underlying numbers, we were thought of as the best two teams in the division. We were, we were performing. If we look at the second half of the league, our shot data, so XG4, we're down now to about 1.4. So we've dropped off a little bit. We've gone from 1.6 to 1.4. So we're still to me, that doesn't sound like, doesn't sound really too little to me. And how does that compare against the other teams? Yeah, so other teams have actually improved. So if you look at Sheffield Wednesday, they, no, sorry, Sheffield United, they've actually got a lot better. They're, um, I think they're looking just under two XG now for where they are. So they're averaging about two points a game, uh, two goals a game. But the ex- so the goals for I think if we all agreed we'd say that these numbers are pointed to we haven't actually been that bad going forwards Our, going forwards we seem fine there's only a small drop up between 1.6 1.4 but when we look at the expected goals against so this is where we were in the beginning half of the season we were below one goal a game if you look at us now we're actually 1.4 so we've we've really considerably something's happened drastically in our team where we're now actually conceding a lot well, a lot of our chances are a lot of higher quality, basically. They've, teams have improved the, the chances they're getting against us. So that's where, that's where I'm, I'm, that's all the numbers are pointing to. If we look at them, something's happened where either what we're doing isn't working and teams are able to now create better chances against us. And what I'm trying to do is try and look at why, what's, that, what's happening between that. Okay, one of these things I'm going to ask you is, well, obviously the beginning of the season, everyone's like, whoa, Brentford, we just came out for a whirlwind, we smashed up the Rotherham, we smashed up the Sheffield Wednesday, we smashed up the Wigan, and we came out like a whirlwind. But as people say, is that they've also done this, they start to do their scouting, they start to work out how we're going to play, they start to realise, actually, tell you something, let's stop these guys from playing out from the back. You get people like Bentley, who's got a 27% pass rate in certain games, which is like, basically, like I said to you, one in four passes is not even hitting the mark you know what I'm saying so you're going to be you're going to be conceding possession in that stage so obviously if you're conceding possession then your XG rate because then they, the opposition is going to be getting more chances so is it our inability to either play out from the back or the fact that people are pressurising us or is it our ability to, to think of another way of actually how we're going to get the ball out yeah there's a few things um for me personally, I think, I think this is something to do with how the team's set up and what we aim to do as a team. So, uh, this is, this is we're a forward-thinking club. We do things quite, yeah, we're, we're quite modern and we're quite similar to a lot of elite teams in the sense of, if you look at how top teams are built these days, we actually, well, they and us, they don't really have proper defenders anymore. The, the art of defending has probably changed. What you do now to defend is you 
you defend from the front, you control space that way. When the ball comes out, your front guys are on it. So, yeah, so you, you defend from the front. That's basically what we do. We, we sort of, instead of relying on our defenders to keep goals out, what we do is, as a team, we make sure we're compact and we press high up. And then as it gets further and further down and deeper, we actually expose that probably our defenders are... Defending is probably second nature. Their benefits or their, their qualities are actually using the ball and defending with the ball. So you defend through possession. So you hold on to the ball. The other teams don't have it as much as you. And you limit their chance. You limit the number of chances they have to score goals. It's, that's kind of how we think. So what I think's happened is in the first 10 games, we, I think we played weaker opposition than a lot of us are probably admitting. We played, I think we played three teams that actually are going to go down in Sheffield Wednesday. Ipswich and the other one was Rotherham so I think those are the three teams that come down so we played those and those are games where we really did well we, we looked great against those teams uh, we got some good XG numbers in those games the second 11 fixes I think we've played five of the teams that might go up so what we're looking there at a big swing of quality so it's naturally you're going to get a drop off and you're going to play better opposition in that second half for me that's why I think we've regressed a little bit but as you said, Billy, you picked up on it. Our teams now actually understanding what we do. So we kind of caught teams cold in the beginning. We, they weren't really sure what we were doing. We played through them. We played well. We created some good chances. We stopped them having the ball, basically. We, we prevented them from creating good chances for us. And in this second half of fixtures, we've actually come up against teams who are smarter, better, probably looking to really get those playoff spots. And overall, I think we've just kind of leveled off a little bit. So... We're actually, I think someone said we're 18th in the XG table at the moment. Really, we're probably at the moment, we're probably the 12th best team. So we've gone from being the first best team down to the 12th, which is probably not where we are. And we're probably going to finish off the 6th or 7th best team. So what our aim is to transfer those underlying numbers into actually finishing somewhere worthwhile in the league. And we, we, may, have, we may have blown it with our run, but that's kind of how I see it. So, so interesting. So, I mean, you're... I mean, at the moment, the way that people are thinking, you know, they're not seeing us being as the sixth or seventh best team. We need to reverse a lot of things to make that happen, though, don't we? We do, we do. I mean, we've had some, we've had some rotten luck. I mean, just to go back to Frank quickly, a lot of people say that, well, people are saying that other players playing for him. I don't know. We've we've conceded a lot of goals, but we we come back. I mean, we're not we're not dead in the water. A lot of players are showing a lot of fight and they are fighting back and I think there's some there's some grit there. There is something there. And we're doing we're doing plenty right in games. But to turn it round, I think if we look at our next couple of games, we've got Hull next, we've got Bolton next. These are teams that on paper we should be looking to beat. We should be if you ask the guys, the, the head honchos what they think about the next couple of games, they're saying those are two winnable games. I reckon they'll be looking at probably three one. Three one both of those games. We've got to transfer that, what we're expecting, what we're modelled to do, onto the pitch. We need to find a way to get that onto the pitch. And what, what happens if it, it doesn't quite happen? Well, I don't know. There's, there's a word like luck. Laney alluded to something earlier, but yeah, we probably underestimate luck in football, but we just need to... Yeah, I, I don't think it bears thinking about not winning the next couple of games. We really do need to deliver and turn, get some performances in and actually turn them into victories. So you can't even talk about us losing, can you? <laughs> I, I think losing the next two games is... If we don't... Uh, yeah, I, I personally think 
these are these are monumental games. They are big, big games, and we need to go. We need to go and win them. I really do. Which is pretty much what I said when we were talking about Thomas Frank. Really, he was saying about the next two games, and I think what what David's just kind of um, outlined in statistical form is is what we kind of said in uh, in in. It seems to be several different things that are going wrong at the moment, which culminate in us not being as effective now as we were earlier on in the season. And we're, and we're, and we're seeing it, you know, where the wide men were, were beating their men and getting to the touchline and cutting it back and Morpay was knocking it in. We were, we were more effective in the tackle. We were, we were better on the counter-attack. Teams hadn't quite sussed us out. You know, what we're seeing here is like how the first 10 games we were pretty much able to play the way we wanted. The second 10 games, other, other teams are kind of shutting us down and, and, and sussing us a little bit. We need to make sure the next 10 games are the ones that we get back to playing on the front foot, getting a bit of confidence back, getting a bit of swagger, getting players that are on their A game, not worried about the, the previous regime concentrating on the current regime and and getting some points under their belts because you know we know they're all good enough individually it's just collectively where there's an issue at the moment we need to just get back to concentrating on how good we are so talking about getting back to where we are we got a game on Saturday it's up north it's up at Hull Hull City not doing particularly well they've got all sorts of problems owner problems fan problems footballing problems but they've got a good side they've got a half decent manager and they're battling for survival so it's not going to be easy we're going to go up to Hull to speak to Les from Amber Nectar podcast he's going to give us a little bit of five from the hive five from the hive Hull City Hi, I'm Les from the Amber Nectar website and podcast. We'll be entering our 21st year in 2019, which means I've been part of it for half my life. Um, we started out as a paper fanzine, then went digital. Nowadays, we do an award-winning podcast too. I saw my first Hull City game in 1983, so I've seen it all from scuffing about in Division 4 to being in the Premier League and in an FA Cup final. I'm a hoarder of Hull City Match 1 player shirts and I curated an exhibition of them when Hull was the City of Culture in 2017. Hull haven't had the best start to the season. What's gone wrong? Sometimes it's difficult to know what's gone wrong in a season. Brentford are a good example of this, I think, after a good year. Um, But with Hull City, you can pinpoint exactly what's happened and what's gone wrong. Our owners, the Alums, are overseeing a managed decline. Um, it was evident in the pre-season of 2016-17 when our senior squad consisted of eight players. Relegation from the Premier League seemed inevitable from the start and ultimately we did go down. Uh, and since then, any, any player of value has been sold or let go and the monies from sales such as Harry Maguire to Leicester and Andy Roberts to uh, Liverpool... They just haven't been reinvested to make us competitive in the championship. So we flirted with the relegation last season and inevitably we're doing so again this year. And beyond 
making sure we have enough players to fulfil fixtures. The the owners are just interested in taking any parachute payments from the Premier League out of the club. So there's no real surprise to where we are. Although saying that, 19th feels stratospheric compared to where I thought we might be at this stage. So I'm, I'm moderately ecstatic at this point. Only new owners, I feel, could rid the club of the toxic cloud that surrounds it. And although there's been some talk of some interested parties, it's all gone very quiet on that front. Last time Brentford are up at Hull, Nigel Adkins has just taken over. He's had a year now. Has he been since then? Like Mike Phelan and Leonard Slutsky before him, Nigel Adkins just simply hasn't been given the tools to do the job. Uh, so perhaps lifting us away from the relegation zone last season and currently being 19th is relative success for him. He made a comment recently about being tired of having to fight fires and, and that seemed to me to be code for his employers have made his job very, very difficult. But I do struggle to feel sympathy for him because he surely knew what he was getting into. The the Alum's reputation is pretty well known in football circles and that's a, a small demographic where people talk. And when things were looking bad for Leonard Slutsky, the, the Russian manager who was in charge at the start of last season, Adkins was attending games and acting as an advisor to the Alums and it all felt a bit vulturous. I'd, I will say though that if he keeps us up in a period of deliberate decline, then he will be due some credit for that. Brentford have just launched posh seats for the new stadium. What is the poshest thing we can expect when we come to Hull at the weekend? The poshest thing in Hull this weekend? Well, the poshest seats in the KCOM Stadium have been tarpaulined over for two years because the Alums don't attend games anymore. So that probably leaves... Uh, some of the gourmet pies that are on sale in the stadium, they're made by a local firm in Hull. It's like a first come, first served, when they're gone, they're gone um, deal. So they're probably the poshest things in the ground and, and, I, and I would recommend them. The succulent steak and the uh, pulled pork are very good, but um, you might have to get into the ground quick to, to have sight of one because they do tend to go quickly. Hull have some decent players. Who should we be looking out for? Jared Bone has been the bright spark amongst low wattage this season. Um, he's a direct runner from midfield uh, and he's always a threat. And if he's feeling up to it as well, Kamil Grzycki, who's a, a Polish international, he can cause opponents problems with his pace. He usually saves his best form for the month before the transfer window opens. So we might well get Pete Grzycki on Saturday. Um, but yeah, we've got a couple of other fairly decent players. Uh, we've got Fraser Campbell up front. He's not the young whippersnapper we had when he came to the club in 2007. He's a little bit older than that now and struggles to finish a 90-minute game. Um, but he does have a knack of, of getting goals when it's really needed and he's scored quite a few in the last few games. Uh, we've got the Australian uh, Jax Nervine in midfield. Long hair never looked so good. He played for Australia in the World Cup in the summer. He's a little bit lightweight, he, he can be shrugged off the ball quite easily, but he does uh, have, a, have a nice range of passing and he's been linking up with Grzycki well in the last few games. Brentford and Hull are similar in some ways. We're two sides with good players who can't seem to get their shit together. How do you think this game will pan out the weekend? Give us a score prediction. 
Brentford's league position surprises me. Um, I find it fascinating that you're the only team in the bottom half of the championship with a plus goal difference. Uh, at times, our defenders make just incredible individual errors to give away goals. So, obviously, Mope worries me. His range of passing, his close control, and of course, his finishing. We're on a good run of form at the moment. We nullified Norwich in a nil-nil draw. We went to QPR and we scored three goals to win. And we had a 2-2 draw at Millwall last week. And, and while that might not sound that impressive... I think that's a game that we'd have lost earlier in the season, so to come away with a point from the Den felt fairly significant. I can see this game being a score draw. Um, maybe we'll have a back-to-back 2-2 draws, I would think. So the mother be Les from Amber Nectar. And it's interesting because he gave a little chat about the old posh, didn't he? I think he did anyway. I think he talked about the poshes, but we were talking about it earlier anyway. Maybe it's me and my mind going back to the posh seats. And oh, apparently that we've heard posh seats. I mean, I'm William Grant of Hadley. We've got Count David Anderson III. We've got Lord Sebastian Kay and David Hillary Moderati Lane here. I mean, we're as posh as it comes. And then there's word on the street that these posh seats might be, they may, they may have our range. The, the rumour is about 300 quid. Over five years, so it's about £35,000. Push it yourself up. There's a lower range as well, it's about 250 quid a seat for about for five years or something like that. You've got to buy some sort of bond. So it's like, you know, 20, 25, 30,000 pounds. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> sorry, it made me chuckle there when you said that old goalkeeper name with the gloves. But, um, listen, but, um, Listen, maybe it's not aimed at us because we are looking to go behind the goal. And listen, I understand about the sustainability of the club and everything like that. But it's 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 it's, it's, it's quite a lot of money. It's quite a lot of money. It's got to be said. I mean, there was a, there was a bit of a sort of kind of silence around the around the table when the, when the posh seat price was, was announced, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, even me from St. Retham, it caught me. A, yeah, it caught me aback. They seem pretty expensive. I mean, that's, that's all I'm going to say. But listen, if you go to Arsenal, if you go to Tottenham, I suppose the prices are up there. So maybe these are, they're called post seats, but maybe it is really hospitality and maybe they're aiming it at business customers. I mean, Laney, you've, 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 you've been sort of sniffing around and you've, you, you've been talking to the old moles out there. What's been going on with the old poshness? Yeah, I'm, what I'm hearing, I'm not, I'm not really happy, to be honest. Is, um, there seems to be a kind of like a... A heritage heritage disconnect, you know. There's uh, there's certain names of certain areas that we're hearing, and uh, it, what names, Scott? So uh, I'll come. Uh, so so like so they're calling and they're calling like the posh seats the Grand Union area. It's like what what the, what the hell, you know. We need to be calling the best areas after the best people that have been involved with our club in our in our history. Like who? Well, Harry Curtis. Harry, the, it's the Harry Curtis, you know, area. Um, Di Hopkins, you know, it's um, it, it's, uh, it's it, it, honestly, there, there's enough. There's enough. You know, all they need to, all anyone needs to do, is look at the Hall of Fame and pick names out of that. They don't, they, there's not, a, you know, or look at a 125 years Brentford book, look at the Griffin Park book, look at, look at the names that are involved in that. You have to, I you know, I've always said, to look forward, you have to look backwards. And then, you know, you, you, if you can have a successful future, you need to pick the best bits out of your past. And you need to, you need to respect your heritage, respect the people that have made the club great. I, I'm, I'm not seeing that at the moment. 
So, so we got the Grand Union Lounge, the Railway Lounge, and the Orchard Lounge, which are the, the three names of the of the different areas in 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 the posh seats area. But the question I'm going to say to you, and listen, I understand because what I saw when I saw the video there as well, they said that the you know what they're trying to do is they're trying to get regular Brentford fans who just want to have a little bit of a. a a, a, a more comfortable experience the padded seats the food a bit of drink and everything like that and they'll, they'll want to go there so you want to slip in so you're prepared to pay a little bit more money which people I know mates of mine who have said every now and again I'm going to treat myself or I'm going to treat my mates or we'll go out there that £250 a pop I mean is this too expensive or is this, is this the right mark I mean I, 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 I actually don't know well, they, I mean, they're not aiming at me, you know, they're, they're, that these people are, you know, the, the big car companies up and down the Great West Road, you, you know, your, your Porsches, your, you know, your VWs, your Mercedes. So it's not necessarily the Brentford fans that go week in and week out who want to just up their level a little bit then? Well, I, I, I can't imagine, I mean, I don't, I don't mix in those circles. There may be, there may be, there may be more than a handful. There may, there may be a, you know... 30, 40, 50 Brentford fans that would be looking at paying that with all the with all the associated, you know, uh, uh, corporate benefits of, of that. But you know, three hundred quid a game. We 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 we've started boycotting games at thirty. So that's, that's ten. It's ten times that. So you know, this isn't this. These seats don't affect me because I I will never pay three hundred pound for a game of football. But. Um, you know, it, it, it does beggars belief that they've they're, they're calling them Grand Union, Railway, and an orchard. You know, yeah, I, the orchard bit I get because obviously Griffin Park used to be an orchard, and and Liner Road was on a you know like three railway lines crossing each other. But you know, come on, you know this, this is this is about this is about sort of paying your respects, and I, I don't think any of those names do, do and it, it doesn't bode well doesn't bode well at all and hopefully what will bode well is the game on Saturday when we play Hull we listen to Les he's given us his thoughts and we're sitting around here and uh, as, 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 as the counter said today that we need a result we need a result on Saturday doesn't, doesn't matter how good they are or they're at home we need a result on Saturday I'm just going to go around the table and just to get everybody else's thoughts about this game because I mean I'm a little bit nervous because I want to give Hull a bit of respect I think they're half decent side they gave Millwall a good game on their den. Okay, Millwall aren't doing the best, but they gave them a good game on their patch uh, last Saturday, and we need to now to go to Hull's patch and we need to do the business, Laney. Uh, Hull away, it's not been great for us the last couple of three years. I, I remember going up there with you on a Tuesday night, and we had a re- we had a really good night out, and we lost. And then last year we went up there and we had a- we froze. Yeah, we really was cold, and we went up there and we had a really good day, and we lost. Um, this year, I think, oh, I think we're going to lose again, Bill. I, don't, I can't, I can't really, I can't see us turning it around. I, I think we beat Bolton, but Hull, I'm not sure. Three-one um, Hull. Sebi. Yeah, uh, I think Hull are a decent side. I think they will set up to uh, find our weaknesses. They've got some really good wingers. Uh, Krasicki is a superb winger. And uh, you know what? how we play against wingers? They'll just come down the side and they'll just knock balls into the box and uh, that's where we're susceptible. So um, I, I, think, I think they're a decent side. They've, as Dave says, they've done us a few times uh, up at Hull. 
Uh, I think there will be a lot of goals. I think it will be a seven-goal thriller. Um, I'm hoping we'll get four of them, but I think they might. The count. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, a seven-goal thriller in our favour would be pretty good. But, yeah, Holler, yeah, Holler are back in some form. They've done well. They've sort of found their goal-scoring boots. But I've just got a feeling. I think Ben Rama back, firing. Watkins, second proper game back. Makocho to come back. I've got a good feeling about this. I'm going 3-1-Bs. Interesting for the count. And for myself, I'm going to go one all. Um, I, I can't see us winning this game. Uh, I, I'd love us to win this game, but I just think we just need to get back on the track and level. So we're not going to lose, but I think it's going to be a one-all to the Bees. But listen, the Beside Pride of West London podcast, don't forget, Lord of Wusu is coming next Friday to the um, Fuller's Brewery. Go to besotted.com and buy it. It's open bar. Him and Darren Powell got some stories to tell. I spoke to him today. He's very very excited indeed it's going to be really good tickets have been going out there out the door as well Rob Rowan as well Thursday 5 o'clock Griffin Park his memorial please get down there and pay your respects to him but other than that we've had a good evening tonight here at the George the 4th it's not the Queen the 4th it's posh it's as posh as we can get because this is probably the poshest we're going to get going down to Griffin Park because we're probably going to leave those seats to other people who have got the chinga to actually go and pay for that kind of business but we need that for our new ground because we need that income to come in so let's hopefully we can find the people that will find it comfortable to go there and I hope that campaign goes very well but as we say we're sitting in this boozer here and we really want the bees to win on that we say come on you Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.